Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Today's message is from a guest speaker. We pray this message speaks to you. Good morning. Adam did a great job. Thank you, Adam. And uh, happy birthday, Pastor Kurt, if you're watching online. Um, so uh, Pastor Kurt asked me just last week, and I said, yeah, I, I would love to share. He, uh, he's away on vacation. Actually, I'm not sure if he's away. I think this might be a staycation work time. But uh, he asked me to share on uh, something about Jesus. So we're going to talk about Jesus, the anointed one this morning. Um, my wife was helping me last night, and uh, she said, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to give you signals. Uh, she said, don't forget, you know, smile. You want to smile. And she said, uh, if I give you one of these, like, time is running short, you know. This is time to wrap it up. Yeah. I said, okay, okay, I got it. I said, but uh, I am going to start out. Houston, Pennsylvania, we have a problem. And the problem is that I'm not Pastor Kurt. You know, we are really blessed. We are so blessed. Pastor Kurt is a gifted teacher. He's, he's a trained teacher, right? And, uh, and, and he's a great preacher. You know, there's a difference, preaching, you know, encouragement and, and revving people up and, uh, and teaching. And uh, we just kind of marvel sometimes. That, Did you catch that today, how Pastor Kurt backed up and, and put that all in context or how he... How he said, wow, I, I don't think I said that right. Uh, uh, let me go over that again. Just how he, you know, teaches is, uh, you know, he's just very gifted. And uh, myself, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a very lightweight teacher. But, <laughs> but I, um, so I, I, my background is computer programming. So is, uh, are you left, left-minded or right, right-brained or left-brained? Do you guys know? You're left-brained, you think? Okay, so... I'm like very left-brained. And so I pull out all this stuff. She goes, oh my goodness, you know, where are you going with this? You're teaching too much. You know, you've got to settle down. And uh, so you'll know, you'll know where I'm coming from. So likewise, if, if uh, you're a computer guy, you kind of want to know the fundamentals of things. You want to get down into it. I can remember my first job. I had to rewrite some programming stuff uh, and I told the guy that I'm working with, I said, I, said, I, want, I want to see the file. I want to see what it looks like. And he said, what do you mean? You, you know, look at the code. You see it laid out. No, no, print off the file, you know. And there's a way you can print data. And, and that's all I wanted. I just needed to see that. Like, I needed to see the details. So uh, today, you're going to get, you know, down into the nitty-gritty, the fundamentals. Um, I didn't want it too warm in here because you might glaze over and fall asleep. Later. <clears throat> and... Uh, so Nora and I agreed, you need to lay the groundwork. You need to like tell them what you're going to tell them, and then hopefully they'll be able to follow you. So we're talking about Jesus, the anointed one, and let's just ask for his anointing on this service today. Father, we're so grateful that you've given us Jesus Christ, that you've uh, given us the promise of the Holy Spirit, and we just ask for your help today, your help uh, right now, Father. We know that you're in our midst uh, work your word in our hearts to transform us in Jesus' name. Amen. So yeah, as, as a, you know, an, an analytical person, uh, my, my feeling is like, if you get a, if you get a good teaching, um, it affects you. You know, you want to be transformed. And as you 
as you learn about Jesus, you want this transformation to happen, and the Lord does it. So, uh, you know, for, for us people that are analytical like that, we don't need revved up. So if you're looking to come this morning to get revved up, boy, you've come to the wrong service. <laughs> but my hope is that my hope is that you will really learn something this morning and then take that and dwell on it and just say, wow, what Jesus has done, uh, I want to I be part of his program, right? Um, so there's a question in Junior Bible Quiz. Junior Bible Quiz got a, a shout out earlier here uh, with, uh, with Kate and uh, I, I got another shout out for Junior Bible Quiz. There's a 20 point question and the question says, what is the Hebrew word that is the same as the Greek word Christ? So what is the Hebrew word that's Hebrew, you think of the Old Testament uh, is primarily written in Hebrew. That's another JBQ question. Uh, but uh, the Old Testament primarily written in Hebrew. There's some chapters of some books in Aramaic. And the New Testament is written in Greek. So what is the Hebrew word is the same as the Greek word Christ? And the answer is the Messiah, Messiah. So Messiah equals Christ. They're the same, same, same thing. It's just different, different languages, right? Uh, uh, Pastor Adam and I believe Joanna went to Messiah College. Could be called Christ College, right? Same thing. Uh, and those two words mean another word, which is anointed. Okay, so Messiah, Christ, anointed, all the same thing. And so uh, we're, we're, we're gonna look at this today because Jesus is the anointed one. Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the Christ. Uh, if you look up the, in an NIV exhaustive concordance, you'll find Messiah mentioned, you know, you would think you'd find it a lot of times, right? NIV exhaustive concordance mentions Messiah two times. And both of those times are in the New Testament. Um, one of the times is uh, when Jesus was beginning his ministry, gathering his disciples, uh, he talked with Andrew and uh, another JPQ question. Andrew ran and found his brother, Andrew. And what did he tell him? We have found the Messiah. So the Jews at that time were looking for the Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament. The other time is when Jesus talked to the woman from Samaria at the well. And she's explaining to him, you know, God is spirit and we worship him in spirit and truth. And the woman says, well, I know that when Messiah comes, he will reveal all things. And so this is a woman from Samaria who are not known for their very religious uh, stance. The Jews look down their nose at the Samaritans. Uh, she knows about the Messiah, the promised Messiah, Jesus, the anointed one, we could say. So here's the two examples where Messiah is used. And, uh, but the word anoint or anointed or anointing is found throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, you know, about 150 times or something like that. Um, but if you look at the, the Hebrew word or you look at the Greek word, uh, yeah, it's, it's all, you know, Messiah or, or, or Christ. Uh, actually, the New Testament does have a caveat. So, uh, so we're going to talk about this today. We're going to talk about the Old Testament uh, first and where the word anointed uh, is at in the Old Testament, what it means, 
we'd, we'd like to know what, what does anointed really mean? What does it mean? And then we're going to talk about the New Testament. Uh, it's interesting, the New Testament has a, a variation on this word for, uh, for anointed in the New Testament that we'll see. And then uh, we're, going to, we're going to find out why was Jesus called uh, anointed or why was he uh, the Messiah and what, what, what does it mean? Why did he need to be the anointed one? And then I'm going to talk about us as related to this, uh, this topic. Sound good? Okay, so what does anointed mean? Literally, it, it means to smear uh, an oil or a liquid over. And uh, often it means to pour oil on the head of. Um, you know, here we pray for people up here at the altar, uh, and we get a, a dab of oil, and we typically smear it on the forehead. What, what does that really mean? And... Um, you know, when I was younger in my faith, uh, my uncle was installed as an elder at a church. It was a non-denominational church, a charismatic-type church, and um, they poured oil over him. It was a fairly large vase of oil, uh, and, and they poured it over, ran down his beard. He had a nice suit jacket, much nicer than this, all down his suit. And I, I was just like, wow, they're, they're really serious about installing their elders, you know? <laughs> Uh, but we do this today. There is anointing today. Uh, in the Old Testament, anointing reflected the Lord's choosing or appointing of somebody and equipping them to do God's will. So our Lord accredited them and he equipped them to do something in God's will. And we see this throughout the Old Testament. So I'll give you uh, uh, some examples of this anointing. And again, every time this uh, talks about this in the Old Testament, uh, about this anointing, uh, in all these examples I'll give you, the, the root word is Messiah, Messiah, where we get our transliteration of, of uh, the Hebrew word. So we see in the Old Testament that uh, Moses anointed Le the Levitical priesthood, and then those priests in turn would anoint, you know, with oil, the uh, other priests from the tribe of Levi. Uh, when the people of Israel wanted a king, right? That wasn't God's plan not to give them a king uh, early on. But when they wanted a king, uh, Samuel, the judge, talked to God. And he said, okay, God, the people want a king. You see the issue here. And God uh, uh, anointed Saul as their first king, right? So there was oil that was poured over Saul's head. And in this case, the spirit of the Lord came upon Saul and equipped him for serving as the king of the people of Israel. So even though that wasn't God's plan, uh, you know, God said, okay, you want a king? We'll give you a king. And he uh, anointed Saul for the task. In 2 Chronicles chapter 22, Jehu was anointed to, uh, to cut off the house of Ahab. So you know Ahab and Jezebel? Don't ever name your child Jezebel. I tell my little JBQers that. Don't ever name your daughter Jezebel. That is like... <laughs> Um, so uh, Jehu was anointed to cut off the house of, uh, uh, of Ahab and Jezebel. And it doesn't mention, uh, in that case, it doesn't mention that the spirit of God came upon him, uh, but he was, you know, had oil poured over him and he accomplished the task. He, this was God's will and he accomplished it. And if you know the story, Jezebel was killed in the street and became dog food. You know, the dogs ate her body, really, literally. 
And uh, so this was uh, accomplished, this task was accomplished through Jehu, who was anointed to do that. Uh, a very remarkable anointing that happened in the Old Testament was that, uh, and this is the only case where a Gentile was anointed. And it was the uh, a king of Persia, uh, Cyrus was his name. And what's really remarkable about this is that Cyrus was named by Isaiah, prophesied by Isaiah, about 100 years before uh, Cyrus was even born. So th this is uh, one of the interesting things about Scripture is that, um, that, that prophecies that are fulfilled are really uh, uh, like an authenticating, one of the authenticating works that there's a divine intervention happening here. Um, and so uh, th th there's this prophecy that this man named Cyrus, who will be king of Persia, uh, will be raised up. God will anoint him. And again, it doesn't say uh, the spirit of God will be upon him, but uh, the, the scripture says the Lord stirred up his spirit. So this, this was a Gentile, not even a, a follower uh, of God, but God anointed him for his purpose to fulfill his will. And he did. He, uh, the king of Persia conquered Babylon, which is God's plan, and he did it with great ease. There wasn't even a battle to speak of. And then there's other anointings uh, in the Old Testament scriptures, consecration of priests and leaders, even the consecration of the tabernacle in uh, Numbers chapter seven. It was set apart uh, for God's use. So these are examples of uh, this, this word must, you know, there, there's, there's a number of different words if you looked up the actual word in the Hebrew but they all come from the root word where we get the word Messiah from. So in general, anointing reflects the choosing and equipping by God to accomplish God's will. The choosing and equipping by God to accomplish God's will. Uh, Randy asked me this morning, do you have any slides like verses to, to put up? I said, no, 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 no. They're gonna have to follow along. It'll keep them awake. So, you know... <laughs> take notes or do something to, to help you there. Um, now, there are hundreds of prophecies regarding Christ. Uh, there's about 300 prophecies in the Old Testament. Uh, of course, many, many of them fulfilled, some of them yet to be fulfilled. But you would think out of those hundreds of prophecies that you would see the word Messiah, the anointed one, as a title, as God had promised. Uh, throughout the Old Testament scriptures. Wouldn't you agree? Like hundreds of prophecies, you probably see Messiah all over the New Testament. It's such a prominent, prominent word in Christianity. It was such a prominent word uh, for the people of that time looking for the Messiah. But there's only really three uh, references to, uh, to, to Messiah as a title of, of somebody that's promised. So we're gonna look at those. So the first one, uh, it, it comes from 1 Samuel chapter 2. And uh, this is about Hannah. Hannah was the mother of Samuel. If you remember, Hannah was barren. Uh, she, uh, you know, she wanted to have children. Her husband's other wife would actually torment her because she was barren. And she went to the Lord in tears and cried out, Lord, if you just give me a son, uh, I'll... I'll dedicate him to serve you all of his days. And of course, the Lord did give her a son. And so she wrote a, a very prophetic and poetic, uh, if you have a, a Bible that has section titles, it probably calls it Hannah's Song. Uh, 
It's like a poem, uh, and it comes in 1 Samuel chapters 1 through verse 10. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 10, this is the first reference that we see of this promised Messiah. Uh, Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. Against them he will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth, and he will give strength to his king and will exalt the horn of his anointed. Or the word there is exalt the horn of his Messiah. Uh, Now, the horn uh, often represented strength or power, so uh, we may be able to read this, you know, and and will exalt the strength of his anointed. Uh, But in any case, uh, the Jews were very familiar with this this verse. In fact, uh, a lot of scholars would accredit Hannah's Magnificat when Hannah went to visit her relative uh, Elizabeth and they found they were both with child, uh, uh, Mary you know, just uh, praise the Lord uh, out of her joy of having a child. And it's very, very much like uh, Hannah's song here. And some scholars think, yeah, she she had to be, uh, you know, reflecting the two. Uh, Mary quotes a couple of psalms in there, but uh, they're very similar. Not the prophetic part of it that we're looking at verse 10, but other verses in it. So this is the first example, and it's significant because this is the first verse where uh, it, it talks about the Messiah, but they, uh, the verse also talks about a king, okay? And it's interesting that uh, this Messiah is going to be a king. Uh, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth, and he will give strength to his king. Okay, now up until that point, the Israelites had no king. They had no king. They had judges. And it wasn't even God's plan to give them a king, at least at that point. And oftentimes, uh, you know, we, we talk about, oh, the Israelites were such losers. You know, they wandered in the desert for 40 years. It wasn't God's plan for them to have a king, but they wanted a king. What, you know, what were they thinking? They just follow God. But it is interesting. After looking at this, I'm thinking, wow. So this promised Messiah uh, was going to be a king, this could be something they were thinking, hey, you know, let's usher in the Messiah. Let's ask God for a king. And so, uh, yeah, I have a little bit different perspective in that sense. But it's the first reference of the Messiah. It's the first reference of uh, Israel having a king, the people of Israel. Uh, and uh, so, and it also indicates here, it's the Lord will shatter the enemies against him. You know, he'll thunder from the heavens. Um, the, the, the Jewish people could take this as, wow, this, through this Messiah, you know, he's going to do this. So uh, I think this is one of the reasons that they're looking for a conquering king. You know, that was one of the, G- the reasons that Jesus was rejected. He, he claimed to be the Messiah, but he wasn't the Messiah they were looking for. They're looking for a conquering king, and Jesus was not uh, conquering the Romans uh, who occupied them. The next reference is uh, out of Psalms. It's uh, a Psalm of David. Actually, it's written about uh, by the disciples in Acts chapter 4 in verse 25 and 26. And they accredit David to to this Psalm. And they actually uh, accredit uh, the the, the verses to this uh, prophecy as being at the time that Jesus was on trial and was crucified. Uh, But most scholars would say, yeah, but there's a a second... uh, you know, 
this applies to Jesus' millennial reign as well as Jesus' trial and crucifixion. But in Psalms chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take their counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed or against his Messiah, saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from them. He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, but as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. So again, this second reference, referring to uh, the, God's king and God's Messiah, his anointed one. Uh, now, uh, the, the, the third one comes from uh, Daniel. And if you look in a New American Standard, they, these are uh, two verses that mention Messiah in the Old Testament. The NIV, uh, again, uses the word anointed. But uh, the, the section title is 70 Weeks and the Messiah. Now, uh, there, the, the, the prophecy talks about several decrees, well, it talks about a decree, rather, uh, and, and about times. So from the time of a decree that went out to the time of the Messiah, to the time that the Messiah would be cut off, uh, very, very, very specific. And if you want to know all the details of that, ask Pastor Jim. He just uh, spoke on this uh, just a few months ago. He taught all the details of this. And it's very interesting, you know, you look at the Jewish calendar and you can count to, to certain days of this prophecy. And again, uh, you know, Daniel was a major prophet and uh, these, these prophecies that come to pass are a confirmation of uh, divine intervention. But the prophecy goes like this. It comes from Daniel chapter nine, verse 24. 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So you are known and discern, you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah or until the anointed one, the prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary and its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. So uh, with amazing accuracy, uh, this has all come to pass of when Jesus rode into Jerusalem and, uh, and then when Jesus was cut off or was crucified. And there's no religion in the world, no other religion in the world that has any kind of prophecies like this that uh, would give an indication of divine intervention. Uh, I, I had a ministry to Muslims and they often claim, well, the Quran is full of prophecies too. But uh, when you take them into context, uh, the, the, their whole uh, premise falls apart. There's uh, even a verse in the Quran about uh, uh, your nine-month pregnant camels are left behind. They say, oh, well, that's a prophecy about the coming of automobiles and trains and planes. Uh, but when you take these things into context, uh, they have nothing. Daniel's prophesying about 
governments and about kings and about times, and they all come to pass with stunning accuracy. So that is the Old Testament, the Messiah, the anointing. Uh, Now we move on to the New Testament. Now last week, Pastor Kurt talked about the power that's in the blood, right? The power of the blood. Uh, Our series is on Jesus. We talked about the name of Jesus, the power and the blood of Jesus. Today, Jesus, the anointed one. And if you remember, or if you watched on live stream, up here, uh, there was a, a, a door frame up here and he painted it with blood. So uh, this was what we call a foreshadowing, a foreshadowing, a shadow, you know, that goes before you. It is a representation of the real deal, but it's not the real deal, right? So this uh, sacrificing of animals and painting on the door frame, the doorpost, was a foreshadowing of Christ being the perfect sacrifice, right? His blood shed to protect us. Uh, So that if we not abide in a home, but abide in Christ, we're protected by the blood of Jesus and we have eternal life. So that's, that's all a foreshadowing of Jesus. In the same way, the anointing of the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of the New Testament. So the Old Testament you get anointed, you get oil poured over you. But in the New Testament, you get the Holy Spirit poured over you. The Holy Spirit comes upon you. And now this doesn't negate in the Old Testament, like when Saul was anointed, the Spirit of God came upon him to fulfill the task. But in the New Testament, it is the whole, the, the, the whole thing is the Holy Spirit. And in fact, in the Greek, there are two separate words for anointed now. It's not just one word. Like in the Old Testament, it was Messiah or the roots and different words for Messiah. In the New Testament, there's two different words. One is krios, which is for Christ. Uh, Christ being uh, Christos, we know that. Uh, I forget the the phrase that we would uh, give it. Was it Christmas or Easter time? Christos anestis. Um, But uh, there's another word for anointing. And that word means the smearing on of oil. It doesn't mean anything else. So uh, the Old Testament uh, finds its reality in the New Testament, and in the word krios, it's uh, an anointing of the Lord. It always means, there's no place in the New Testament where krio is used, that it doesn't mean the Lord, uh, the Spirit of God coming upon somebody, okay? But there are many times where it's used in this different word, anointing. And we'll look uh, real quick at a few of those times. Um, In James chapter five, where it says, if you're sick, call for the elders of the church and they'll lay hands on you and they'll anoint you with oil, right? So this is not an anointing of the the spirit of God coming on you. It's an anointing of uh, putting oil on your your forehead or or wherever. Um, Why why do we do this? Why do we still do this? yeah, I have, I have several uh, thoughts on why we still do this. One, it's symbolic of what we want to happen, the Holy Spirit to come upon somebody and provide healing. Uh, number two, um, it is a point, I heard a pastor say this and I, I like it, I agree with it. It's a point where we can release our faith. So if you come forward and you pray, we're gonna anoint you with oil, this is scriptural. You can, you, you can build up your faith and release your faith or just, uh, it's an encouragement, I think, for us to have faith 
that God is going to do what, uh, what we're praying to do. But thirdly, is that I believe it's uh, symbolic, or, or, or more than symbolic, it's, it's, uh, it's a recognition that we're aligning our prayers with God's will. You see, anointing in the Old Testament was uh, one, one of the factors of it. It was, it, it was to accomplish God's will, right? I believe that this anointing that we do is to align with God's will. So those three things, uh, it's symbolic, it's uh, of the Holy Spirit, it's a point to release our faith, and it, it represents a, an agreement with God's will. And, uh, you know, if it's for healing, for example, uh, you know, God doesn't want us to be uh, unhealthy. He wants us to be healthy. And, of course, we play a part in that, but we can align uh, with whoever we're praying for in, in God's will. Another reference uh, in the New Testament about this anointing, and again, it's not creo, uh, the, the Spirit of God, but it's uh, just an anointing with oil, is that uh, people who passed away were anointed with oil. They anointed Jesus' body with spices and oil, right? And then thirdly, when it talks about fasting, uh, he says, fast, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Don't look like you're, you know, all wiped out and washed out so everybody knows, oh, David Warnock is fasting. No, it, uh, it's more for like a grooming situation. The other word in the New Testament, uh, it always means the, the a spiritual anointing of God's Holy Spirit. And this is creo, uh, it's where we get our word Christ. It's where we get our word charisma or charismatic, also christen. And uh, the, 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 the major reference in the New Testament of this anointing is, is obviously Jesus Christ. So he was baptized by John and the spirit of God came down upon him. It doesn't use the word anointing there, but this is what uh, the anointing in the, in the New Testament means. But Jesus stood, if you remember, he stood in Luke chapter four, he stood up in the temple and he read from the scrolls. And what did he say? The spirit of the Lord is upon me. So I'm gonna read Isaiah chapter uh, 61 because this is exactly where Jesus came from, Isaiah 61. It's a prophecy about the Messiah, and, uh, and I want you to listen and uh, listen to why Jesus was anointed. Why was he anointed? What was he anointed to do? Okay, Isaiah 61 and verse one. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, to proclaim the Lord's coming, right? And the day of vengeance of God, to proclaim judgment of God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes or beauty for ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Now, let me ask you a question, and this is a good question. Why does God the Son need to be anointed by God the Father with God the Spirit. That doesn't make any sense to me. 
God the Son gets anointed with God the Spirit by God the Father. And the answer is found in Philippians. Philippians chapter two and verse five starts with, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So Jesus Christ emptied himself. Uh, I looked up this word emptied, uh, the, the, the Greek word emptied, and one of the words it gives is neutralized. And I thought, wow, that's kind of cool. If you had a Star Wars version of the Bible, it'd probably say, yeah, Jesus Christ neutralized himself. <clears throat> but what does it mean? It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that he emptied himself of di uh, divinity, right? He, he didn't empty himself of divinity because we love to say that Jesus on earth was both fully God and fully human. Uh, you know, we, we all agree with that or, or tend to agree with that in the church. Um, but he did empty himself of his divine attributes, okay? So uh, he wasn't omniscient. He wasn't all-knowing. He wasn't omnipresent. You know, he wasn't everywhere at the same time. He was a human being ministering on earth, right? And... Uh, he wasn't uh, um, omnipotent, all-powerful. He said, I could call for legions of angels. You know, he, he didn't say, I, I could just bust out of here and do whatever I want because I'm all-powerful. But he had a connection. So he, uh, he emptied himself. Omniscient is interesting. Uh, you know, I don't believe when Jesus asked questions on the earth that he just decided, oh, I better ask some questions of these disciples. Otherwise, you know, we will lack conversation. So let me just ask some questions, even though I know all the answers. I don't believe that at all. I mean, obviously Jesus asked rhetorical questions, uh, but I believe he's asking real questions. He wanted to know things. There were times when he certainly, he knew things that there's no way humanly possible that he could have known, but he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God revealed things to him, right? The Spirit of God revealed things to him that he, he knew many things that he really shouldn't be knowing, but he had this connection with the Father. Uh, he asked the disciples, uh, you know, who do the people say I am? He said, but, but tell me, who do you say I am? And Peter responds, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You, you're the anointed one of God, the Son of the living God. And Jesus, what did Jesus say? Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for uh, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. You see, uh, he, he's telling me, you, you, you didn't know this by anything that flesh and blood did to you, but my Father in heaven revealed this to you. And there are, you know, you, you can't discern spiritual things as just flesh and blood. You have to have the help of God to reveal things to you. And anytime... Anytime, church, you're reading the scriptures and you say, wow, I've never seen that before. God is revealing something to you. God's spirit is at work in you. You can't discern those things. You know, you give that to your high school friend who's a pagan 
and they read the same thing, they'll never get what you got out of it, okay? Unless the Spirit of God is helping them and revealing. So uh, th- th- this is uh, Jesus' situation. He was a man ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay. God didn't anoint his deity. God didn't give him uh, God the Spirit for his deity. He anointed God's, uh, Jesus' humanity. Okay, so he was a man ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, So this, is, uh, this brings us to uh, where we are. I said we're going to talk about us. You and I are also anointed. All those things that Jesus was anointed to do, those are things that God has asked us to go and do, to teach, to obey. Um, he's asked us to do those same things. And uh, John, in his epistle, not John's apostle, but in his epistle, 1 John, he's talking to the church, and he warns them about loving the world. He warns them and tells them that antichrists are coming, anti the anointed one. Anti the anointed ones are coming, and they will come against you. Um, some have gone out from us, and it was because they've... Uh, you know, accepted lies. They haven't uh, latched on to the truth. But he tells him, but you, you believers, you have an anointing from the Holy One and you all know. You all know what? You all know the truth. This, uh, the, the anointing of the Holy One that comes up on the believers, upon you and I, uh, helps you to uh, understand the truth. And I say you and I, meaning you uh, believers. If you're here this morning and and you're not a believer, you can be anointed today. You can have God's spirit come upon you today. So he warns uh, of of, uh, the Antichrist and these things, and, and he promises them eternal life in this scripture. This is the promise which he himself, God, made to us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. And then in verse 27 uh, of 1 John chapter 2, he says, As for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you. Uh, There's no uh, lesser Holy Spirit that comes upon us than that came upon Jesus. Uh, It kind of takes the mystery out of Jesus, you know? I, I don't know, for me it was like, wow. God really became a man and ministered among us by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, this this is an amazing thing. And he's given us the task to carry on. And he's given us the Holy Spirit. And John talks about, it's it's to your advantage that I go so that the Holy Spirit may come. And it talks about what the, the Holy Spirit will do. It convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. You know, the Holy Spirit does these things through you and I. Uh, I, I can remember ministering to friends who, Nora and I thought, we, we're just not doing enough. We're not being bold enough about our faith. 
And when they got saved, they told us, oh my goodness, every time you'd come over, we wondered, what are they going to give us today? You know, <laughs> what are we doing wrong today? You know, we better not tell them about going to that concert, you know, and, <laughs> and here Nora and I are thinking, goodness, we're just not sharing enough. We're, you know, how about we give them scripture portions of John again, you know, and, but the Holy Spirit was doing a ministry uh, through us and that, that we weren't quite aware of. Verse 27, he says, As for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you. And you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things uh, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it taught you, you abide in him. So the message today is that we should abide in him. We should abide in him and receive this anointing. And, and I, I do believe the, the spirit of God is really at work here at Central. It's at work in our body. I see it in you. I see it in you. I see things happening that the Lord is the one doing it. He's the one orchestrating it. And uh, like Nora and I, you can't always see the spirit of God at work but you do see the effects of it. The Lord is ministering here. So as somebody who's very analytical, uh, here's how we're going to close it down. Somebody that's very analytical, they don't need to come forward to an altar call. They think, wow, I've learned it in my seat. I'm going to digest it. I'm going to analyze it. I'm going to go home, get before the Lord. And when the Lord touches you, you just cry out and receive all the Lord has for you. Other people who are, you know, very, uh, I, I, I don't want to say emotional to make it sound bad, but not as analytical maybe, say, I got to have that point where I go forward and, and have somebody pray for me. I got to have that encouragement and, and uh, you know, work at it from that angle. So if I could have the prayer team come forward, uh, we are going to close and dismiss. But if, if there's anybody here this morning, it just feels like, wow, I, I've been looking for something more and, and I see that, that there is more. Uh, you can come forward and pray with, with our prayer team. So let's uh, close in prayer. Father, we're so grateful for your love for us. Oh Lord, we're so grateful for the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. We're grateful that we didn't miss Jesus, but we're grateful also that we haven't missed the Holy Spirit, that you have more for us to know, more for us to walk in. Continue, Lord, to pour out, to anoint us with your Holy Spirit to accomplish your will in our lives and just in your plan, Lord. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.